0: In October 1347, twelve trading ships docked in the Sicilian port of Messina. When the ships were boarded, the locals were horrified to find most of the crewmates were either dead or dying of a strange illness that covered their bodies with black boils. Even though the
1: authorities ordered the ships
0: sent back out to sea, it was too late. The black plague had
1: arrived in Europe. The plague would not stop ravishing Europe until 1720, almost 400 years after it first arrived. During this time, the plague totally reordered society by killing off huge numbers of people, especially peasants, who were the foundation of the medieval system of governance called feudalism. The decimation of the
0: peasant population resulted in increased bargaining power for the remaining peasants, allowing them to make some choices about how they wanted to live. The empowering of the peasants left the knights, who populated the lowest level of the ruling system, without peasants to tax and protect, throwing their entire existence into question. In 1522, the knights decided to do what they did best, to fight in the Knights' Revolt, a critical step in the reordering of Europe during the time of the Reformation. I'm Mike Aigley. And I'm Evan Gertner. And this is Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the discussion on the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation all over a nice cold beer. So, we spent a couple episodes talking about Thomas Munzer, at least the last episode. We, we really focused on Thomas Munzer. Um, and now, Munzer was Luther's student who would eventually go on to lead the Peasants' Revolt. But there are a few things we need to cover before we finish up with Munzer's story.
1: So before we talk about the Peasants' Revolt of 1524 and 1525, we're going to explain the Knights' Revolt of 1522.
0: Now, the Knights' Revolt of 1522 begins with the breakdown of feudal law in the 1400s. This is about 100 years before Luther. And as far as I can tell, this is... Now, feudal law... Was actually, I was Actually, I was looking this up, trying to understand what feudal law was, and I, all I found was... I found a lot of information and basically the scholars disagree on what feudal system was because it's really all over the map depending on So there's on
1: some basic things though. There are some, there are a few basic things. So there's a lord who owns the land. And then there's a vassal who is given
0: possession of the land by the lord, and the vassal would would then promise to fight for the lord if needed, and he might also act as a counselor for the for the for the lord. He also was going to, you know, uh, and then there's the the fief which is the land itself. So you have a fiefdom that's a just a piece of land.
1: So um so in all of our discussion at the top of that pyramid would be a duke who'd be the owner of all of his lands except those lands which would be separated from him that would be owned by the Catholic Church.
0: So and then the the barons would be the duke's vassals and they would control huge pieces of land and then the barons would give the land to the knights who would do actual fighting for them, and...
1: So the baron would be called upon by the duke. Uh, His bannermen would have to come forward whenever the duke needed an army. He'd call upon his barons, and then the barons would call upon the knights. And the barons and the knights remained loyal to the duke because the duke gave them land. Right. And and so, and
0: then the, the knights actually were the ones who would manage the taxes of the people. They would also protect the people. They would keep the the people on the land safe from other knights from being attacked. Uh, So so the knights and the people had this sort of relationship that they were... You can almost
1: think of this as uh, the state level, down to the county, down to the township. Right, right. And so... Now we've mentioned that the
0: Catholic Church also had huge pieces of land and they
1: used the same feudal system and they would do it with instead of barons and knights they'd have cardinals and bishops right but it was still the serfs the people the people the peasants, the peasants
0: who really bore the, the the burden of you know of the taxing and the, you know they were it was just a it was a rough life but at least in the old days and before in the 1400s
1: and the 1300s, you know... When- not a, in the 1300s and 1400s, there's not a lot of movement of people. Things right. stay pretty local, and so the Knights had a fixed commodity of people that they could expect a certain amount of resources to come from. But as uh, the economy becomes more transitory, people are able to move around more. Um, the old system of of land... Becomes less a source of income for knights.
0: Right. the 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 knights really get caught in a squeeze. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. the The interesting thing was that, and we've talked uh, when we talked about Leo, the uh, Pope Leo X, um, We talked about him loving to hunt, and I always thought, gee, there must be huge hunting lands out there. Well, in this, as I was doing my research for this, he really didn't. These lords, the lords of the land, really didn't care if they were you know they owned the land. And so if you were a, if you were a farmer and and a fox ran through your field, you might have the the pope and and a whole crew of people
1: ride their horses through, kill all your crops. Cuz you don't have a lot of crops, so that little swath of land they ride through, that's your big land that you have. It's little to them, but to you as a peasant, it was a big swath of land and they've just destroyed it.
0: Yeah, and they would ride right through and and this wasn't just the pope. This was anybody you know, uh, any of the lords, if if they wanted to go hunting, they could hunt on your land, and, and all your work for your farming would be done, well, and you still got
1: taxed. So we're explaining why the peasants aren't going to like this system. But it's also key to understand the revolt we're talking about is the Knights' Revolt. The Peasants' Revolt is going to come up 1524, 1525. 1522, there's the Knights' Revolt. So as we mentioned in the opening... The Black
0: Plague attacked the feudal system at its core by killing off huge number of peasants
1: that really, really were the foundation of this entire system. So the remaining peasants become merchants, artisans. They move into the big cities to sell their goods and services. This is a time of transition for Europe from... Uh,
0: uh, the feudal system, basically. The feudal
1: system, uh, being uh, agrarian to becoming more of a market economy.
0: Yeah, and so these big cities become much more important. And you know, so you have uh, these people, they move out into the cities, all the peasants, and they start getting wealthy there. And, and Have you so- been to, uh,
1: when you were in Germany, did you go to Leipzig? Yes. So part of the reasons Leipzig became a very large city is because it was uh, along trade routes, and people would come there... And, and that would be the time to trade your resources. And and people would even bring with them little miniature stoves or or little things and say, come buy this. And it'd be the great exposition of what to get in Europe. You'd go to Leipzig and you might buy the, the equipment that you need based on the little miniatures mm. uh, that you'd see there. There's also good bi- uh, booksellers and things like that. But all of that happens in Leipzig around this time period. Um, Leipzig becomes an important city, not just simply because of the royal things that are happening there or the church things that were happening there, which used to be the only way a city would happen. Right now, right. Leipzig is an example of a city that grows because of the merchant class.
0: Yeah, so you have this growing middle class, like in Leipzig and all many other cities in Europe. This this growing middle class that is really more and more powerful, and and what the what the lords, the high end lords, the 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 dukes and and those
1: guys they realize, gee, I can just tax directly... The trade. The trade. Now, so this makes it more difficult for knights to make a living off of the few remaining serfs on their property. Yeah. Because now the the market isn't built on the land. The market's being built on the trade. And the knights don't have permission to tax the trade. The knights have permission to tax the land, but not the trade.
0: Right. And so what ends up happening is... Less and less people are living on the land. So and now the knights respond. Well, <laughs> the knights respond by capturing and holding cities hostage, and and they they so they, and then they'd say, well,
1: you know, we're we're going to hold the city such and such city hostage, and and then this city will get released if they pay us money. Yeah. So they figure out if we can't tax the trade, we can't tax the land successfully. We're gonna just ransom the people. Yeah,
0: uh, basically the the knights are saying, "Listen, we're the warrior class, and you know, it sounds like
1: the warlords of Afghanistan in a way. Yeah, uh, you know, this is what we're good at, and we're we're gonna go take care of this kidnapping as a business.
0: So, so you know, the princes respond by making it illegal for knights to engage in quote unquote private warfare. And so that's the only basically... way the
1: knights can battle is if they've been called uh, by a baron um, or by the duke. Yeah, They can't just make war by themselves.
0: So when we were talking about the Diet of Worms, we, we talked a little bit about Franz von Sickingen.
1: And von Sickingen, he was a knight and he saw himself as a sort of Robin Hood defending the poor against injustices. He had even thought that um, he could help turn the tide for Luther saying, Luther, you know, um, put your saddlebags on my horse and we'll go far.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so, in 1513, uh, he took the side of a citizen of the city of Worms uh, who was driven out of town. He attacked Worms with 7,000
1: men. So, more. one man is driven out of Worms because of something he did. Yep. And von Zickingen takes his side and then attacks the city of Worms with 7,000 people. Yeah. And he wins. And he wins. And and now Worms, uh, the city of Worms, pays von Zickingen money to leave. And so, he pays his men and he becomes wealthy and so he does it again. And he fought the citizens of Metz. Right. So he fought, fought for the citizens of Metz. Against the local government. And he won that battle, too.
0: Uh, to give you
1: a sense, he was given 20,000 gold gildan, um and a month's pay for his troops. So, it's But in the, the, the end, thing. it's not so clear that he actually helped the citizens of Metz. But
0: he got pretty wealthy in the process.
1: And was able to pay his troops. Yeah. So he has a, a, a mercenary... Uh, class army that he can call up any time he tells his army we're going to go to battle they follow him because they get paid
0: yeah yeah and so and and he's got this sort of uh like i said he's he's he sees himself as sort of like a modern day robin hood or like i guess a modern a, a medieval robin hood who's who's going to help out with with these the the poor but you know it's sort of funny
1: because it's unclear how much he helps the poor but he certainly helps himself pretty well so Now, he made friends with Ulrich von Hutten, a humanist who was interested in enforcing reform through military means. So, together, von Sickingen and von Hutten worked to promote
0: Luther's teachings, and they even uh, offered Luther protection against the emperor, as, as Evan said a few minutes ago.
1: But Luther turned them down because Luther believed that the advances of the Reformation would come about through the preaching and teaching of the gospel and not through military means. So, in
0: 1522, Sickingen and Hutton decided to overthrow the Archbishop of Trier, who was a supporter of the Pope. Uh, part of his strategy was to get the people of
1: Trier to revolt. And so he thought, I will attack, and because the people feel so burdened, when I enter into the town, they will all join me. Yeah, well, that didn't exactly he, he happen. He misread the people, right? Yeah, the, the
0: people never really revolted. and the people... So his winning
1: plan depended on... Entering the city and gaining the firepower of the people. Yeah,
0: and, and you know, the people are looking at it, they're saying, you know,
1: you guys are sorta of jerks, the archbishops are sort of jerk, why should I pick sides here? So von Zickingen and his men ran out of gunpowder after seven days and they retreated to his castle in Landstuhl. Uh, Hutton escaped to Switzerland. Now, Sickingen thought he was safe in Lonstuhl. He figured that he had about four months of supplies while he waited for reinforcements. Unfortunately, Richard of Trier, the Archbishop
0: of Trier, uh, and his allies had much stronger weapons than Sickingen expected. This was actually one of the first uh, uses of artillery and warfare.
1: So heavy artillery is used, and the defenses of Lonstuhl become weak within a week. Uh, Sickingen was wounded in the process on May
0: seventh, fifteen twenty-two. Franz von Sickingen
1: uh, surrendered, and he died that same day. And then Hutton died of syphilis a few months later. So,
0: you know, the the feudal system was struggling for over a hundred years, but it finally came to an end with the deaths of von Sickingen and von Hutton. Von Sickingen is sometimes called the last knight, by the way. Um, Now, the Knights' Revolt is really important since it gives us some background to the culture and the issues that were at the core of the Peasants' Revolt, which is going to play a big role in... And the upcoming discussions.
1: So this lets us know that there is more than just theological changes uh, being driven during the Reformation time.
0: Yeah, the the beginnings of all these revolts really
1: started at least a century and and maybe longer. So you could go back to Jan Hus and 1415 for uh, part of the Reformation. Uh, We could go back, uh, I suppose, even to the 1300s, Tyndale and and the the translations of the scriptures there in England. Well, yeah. we and as well for the breakdown of the feudal system. Yeah, the we black plague. The black plague and the changing of the economy uh, to more of a trade dependent economy. Now, as the as over that that hundred year period, what was happening was you
0: know for a peasant there was a tax if you got married, there was a tax if you died. Uh,
1: the, the, the if you wanted firewood the, the, yeah they there was pay. a tax to go into the forest and if you
0: wanted to go hunt or fish you have to pay for that you know uh, if it, when, when, when somebody died the the, the the knight would come and take your best garments, your best tools your best cattle it was it was really really rough on the peasants
1: the knights were also suffering since the feudal system was built on a foundation of land but the newer system was built on a foundation of money and taxes on trade and so the knights who were basically military men with land, weren't prepared for this new system.
0: So, as we mentioned uh, with the example of uh, von Sickingen, they responded by further abusing the peasants under their control, or th- he tried
1: to pay for over So, von Sickingen with- he tries to bring rescue to the people by attacking cities and getting money, but generally the knights are um, the- putting more burden, more burden on the peasants that are remaining on their land to the point where the, the heavy-handed work of the knights is either going to break down in that the peasants are going to revolt against them, or the knights are going to revolt at a level above them. Yeah. Somewhere the levels of authority are breaking down. Yeah, and
0: it it ends up being both of them revolt. So um,
1: We're going to finish by talking about the 12 articles of the peasants in Svabia.
0: So all this pressure that you're seeing that the, the knights are placing on the peasants really is important to understand the peasants' revolt, because... They're really getting upset. They're really they're really carrying a heavy burden. And before we head into our beer break, we're going to take a couple of seconds here and talk a little bit about the 12 articles of the peasants, uh, peasants of Schwabia. And that'll give you a pretty good idea of what life for a common peasant was like in 1524. So some
1: basic things they wanted. They but wanted to be able to call their own pastor and not have the bishop tell them who their pastor would be.
0: They wanted to use tithes
1: to care for the
0: poor and to pay for the pastor.
1: So the tithes supported the church but they wanted the tithes to support the people
0: the, no they wanted the tithes to support the the church and whatever was left over to pay for the poor
1: oh, okay um
0: and then freedom it's and i'm going to read directly from it therefore it agrees with scripture that we are free and will be and will to be so it is not our intention to be entirely free god does not teach us to live without rulers so these all seem pretty reasonable to
1: me you know kind of luther writing about the freedom of a christian it sort of seemed like that they also wanted to have the ability to hunt, fish, and gather firewood from the forest without paying a tax. So there's quite a few more.
0: We'll get into those after the beer break, but uh, let's take that beer break.
1: So our, our our beer break's kind of inspired. The peasants did not have a cakewalk in life. <laughs> no, they didn't. And what is the name of our beer, Mike?
0: Today's beer is Cakewalk Vanilla Cream Ale
1: from Right Beer Right Brain Brewery. And I forget where they're they're uh, located in Traverse City, Michigan. Ah, there we go. It's our tr- second Traverse City brewery in a row.
0: So um, now, Right Brain Brewery is sort of an interesting brewery. They they have their whole idea is to have unusual beers, and I'll tell you, I had to I had uh, I had to buy a six pack of this one, and so I, I had I had one last night, and uh, this is very this is an unusual beer. It, it's, it's a cream ale, and I, I can taste that difference. It's a cream ale and I could take it does taste like cake mm-hmm. it's the weirdest beer it it's a corn it, I think it it tastes good
1: though yeah you know? yeah the addition of the corn leads yields to a light creamy feel in the mouth and uh, smooth but not sweet um, it it has a little bit of more of a it's not as thick of a heavy beer as some of the beers we've drank. It's got a lightness to it, an airiness to it.
0: Now, in the in in the description they have here for the vanilla cream ale here, it says uh, an extremely light and approachable cream ale brewed with real Madagascar vanilla beans, and you can really
1: taste that vanilla compared to real Tanzania vanilla beans. I'm not <laughs> sure, but all right, Madagascar vanilla beans, celebrate that. So
0: so it does, but you can taste the the vanilla. At least I can. Yes, could, could, could I you can. That, that was uh, so it's a very um. Now, the thing is, the uh, the pub and the production facility is located at 16th Street in Traverse City, Sofo District. I've I never heard of this. So, I that, guess that's I'm...
1: high class, uh, Traverse City right now, huh? Oh, is it? I yeah, okay.
0: I, I don't know. Um, Right Brains Pub has over 20 beers on tap at all times, and the electric, eclectic look and feel inside is popular with beer consumers of all ages. With over 150,000 visitors per year. Uh, the pub is family friendly with a connection to the local community. Wow. That's so if a you're in Traverse place. City, check them out. Uh so let's uh to Traverse City. Yeah, that's I, I actually that's a that's a interesting taste. I yeah. like it. I actually like it, but it's uh it's a very light. It's a very light beer. Mm-hmm. Um it's uh it's more of a summer beer uh than than the, what we've been having lately. We've been having those heavy
1: winter beers. Usually- so when life is going smoothly, you call it a cakewalk. When we brew a light and easy drinking cream ale with real Madagascar vanilla beans, we also call it a cakewalk. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, this is a... a it's, it's definitely a good summer beer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... Uh, Uh, We've been having a lot of winter beers lately. Those heavy, heavy beers are typically more winter-type beers. When you
1: need to put the calories on and pad yourself with insulation (laughs) against the cold (laughs) winters. That's right. Yes. Uh, Now, uh, back to our look at the peasants and knights and these things. We're going to spend some time looking at the 12 articles in detail because it gives you a sense of the human rights concerns of uh, the... 1520s, in which the Reformation is happening.
0: So these are the peasants' issues with the way the knights and the lords responded to the changes that were taking place in Europe after the plague. Uh, they're Really, they're considered the first draft of human rights and civil liberties in continental Europe.
1: Uh, for the people. Now, you could go back to the Magna Carta to look at the rights of, say, the baron versus the king. Well, that was in England. Yeah. This is continental Europe. Oh, I see. You added that word there. That's catchy. I missed that. (laughs) Continental Europe. Okay.
0: Yeah, I I was a a step ahead of you on that one.
1: (laughs) He's like, Evan's going to talk about the Magna Carta. I just know it. (laughs) I probably should have
0: said something about the Magna Carta. Yeah, this is a few years after the Magna Carta.
1: So the gatherings in the process of drafting them are considered to be the first constituent assembly on German soil.
0: So we're gonna. This is gonna be important, especially we're gonna ha- in a couple of episodes. We're gonna be covering Luther's
1: response to these, and there's a lot of stuff going on all at the same time. Yeah, and- because Luther's response to the peasants' revolt, um, if you've seen the movie, uh, the Luther movie with Joseph Fiennes, is, is kind of a. It's more. It's the reason that it kind of got kind of a dark note to it. You, you know, Luther walks past people who are hanging. From from rafters and things like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and so
1: they sort of mixed up
0: Luther's return from the Wartburg with the peasants' revolt in that. And, they did, yes. And and this is what we can see in in our history is that uh, that there are two separate incidents: Luther returned from the Wartburg, and then a couple of years later, a few years later, there's the peasants' revolt. And and so you know what we're going to. When, when Luther actually, we're going to go through Luther's response to the Peasants' Revolt. So we want, uh, and specifically he's going to spend uh, an, uh, write a, a paper specifically addressing the 12 articles of the Schwabian peasants. And so let's go through these mm-hmm. and sort of calibrate our minds on this. And what I think we're going to find is, gee,
1: that seems pretty reasonable. So number one, every municipality shall have the right to elect and remove a preacher if he behaves improperly. The preacher shall preach the gospel simply, straight, and clearly, without any human amendment. For it is written that we can only come to God by true belief. So that sounds reasonable,
0: but we need to remember that the people didn't call their own pastors in the early 1500s. That's uh, that, and we talked about the investiture controversy about mm-hmm. you know the whole idea of okay, who's going to install the bishops? Who's going to install the pastors?
1: And that was a big deal in, I think, the 1300s. Um, but it continued to be a problem, especially with the Reformation going. Uh, there were certain cities that had their own city councils that had more rights, like Nuremberg. Um, but the idea was every municipality should have the right to call its own pastor. So in areas where the prince supported
0: the Reformation, typically the prince, and uh, like uh, Frederick. Frederick actually was responsible for calling the pastors to like pastors in his in his area in those areas of where the reformation took hold
1: so the people are asking for a voice in who their preacher will be so let's go on to the second
0: one the preacher shall be paid from the great tithe a potential surplus shall be used to pay for the poor and the war tax the small tithe shall be dismissed for it has been trumped up by humans for the lord our master has created the
1: cattle free for mankind so they're talking about money and uh, churches uh, often have a, some conflict. I will have people who will come to uh, our congregation thinking that, oh, I, I'm so glad you guys don't talk about money here. I'm like, yeah. well, we do. I mean, because all of the resources we have are gifts from God and how we use them. But you don't talk about it like other churches talk about I'm like, ah, maybe we do. You just came at the wrong week. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the... Yeah, we, and, and that's sort of the, the, you know, the right here, things get, whenever you're talking about
1: money in a church,
0: you know, people get uncomfortable with that, right? Now, this
1: yeah. one used some terms, though, that people may not be familiar with, and that is the great tithe and the small tithe. So, the great tithe, and I had to do some digging into this, the
0: great tithe seems like it's, uh, and I I got this, it was actually the English, um, which I'm assuming that I could find. Maybe a, a similar system. I'm, I'm hoping it's a similar system. Uh, and if
1: anybody listening disagrees with us, feel free to write us an email and educate us.
0: Yeah. So, but uh, in, uh, in England, they, the great tithe was the tithe of grain, hay and wood. And so what the past, what the, what the article is saying, what the second article is saying is that the preacher would be paid for by 10%
1: tithe of the people's grain, hay and wood. Now the small tithe seems like it was a tithing of anything else, which would be locally agreed upon by the Lord. Interesting that the second article seems to specify something about cattle related to the tithe.
0: Yeah. So I wonder if this was unique to Swabia, um, but it's, uh, or if it's common throughout Germany, or if it's—I think the hint is
1: they feel like they're being overtaxed. Yeah. And that instead of ten percent, it's more like twenty percent that's happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Number Um, three. uh, Why don't you take that one?
1: It has been practiced so far that we have been held as villain which is pitiful given that Christ redeemed all of us with this precious bloodshed. The shepherd, as well as the highest, no one excluded. Therefore, it is devised by the scripture that we are and that we want to be free.
0: So I had to actually look up Villian. And Wikipedia says uh, Villian is generally treated, rented small homes with or without lands. As part of the contract with their landlord, they are expected to use some of their time to farm the Lord's Demsny uh, or provide other services, probably in addition to to a rent for of money and goods. So it's basically this is sort of like almost like sharecropping,
1: I think. So the idea is, I think, from reading it, that they being viewed as villain is they work their land, and when they're done working their land, or even before they're done working their land, they also have to work the lord's land. Okay. And so they're like, we're just viewed as uh, hired hands. Yeah. Instead yeah. of people who are free, right,
0: of? right. So, um, the, it says you know. So they're they're
1: basically asking me fully free is what they're asking for.
0: They're they're asking me you know. Because the, if
1: they're paying rent for their land, then the idea is let the rent be enough and don't make us also work a bunch besides it on your own land.
0: Yeah, the, like I said, I think the only thing I could think of that would be like in the early. 20th century U.S. was like Came sharecroppers. Sharecropping, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of that same dynamic of, you know, somebody having to work for somebody else and work their own land. It's just pretty, pretty And never being able
1: to get out of the debt. Yeah, yeah. Now, number four, it is unfraternal and not in accordance with the word of God that the simple man does not have the right to catch game, falls, and fish. For when God our master created man, he gave him power over all in animals, the bird in the air, and the fish in the water.
0: And we're going to put the second one with that uh the fifth one with the fourth one, the high gentlemen have taken sole possession of the woods. If the poor man needs something, he has to buy it for double money. Therefore, all the woods that were not bought relates to, I guess that relates to the formal community woods, which uh, many rulers had simply appropriated, uh, shall be given back to the municipality so that anybody can satisfy his needs for timber and firewood thereof. Uh,
1: there was community forest, like, a, say, a state park. Okay, and the people would have had common access to that. Okay, and but that over time, the, 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 the feudal lords had appropriated that and started to call it private property.
0: Yeah, uh, probably as the as as they needed more more money, they probably appropriated that, saying, you know, okay, we're going to tax this too. Then, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's just one of those. So um, they. Now, it's interesting, I mean, even today we don't have, I can't go hunting. Or
1: they fishing. don't want to just go on people's private property, but what they've seen is what was community prop and property has been relabeled. Right, right, right.
0: So, um... Number six? Number six is the matter of excessive services demanded of us should be properly looked into as we are only required to serve according to God. And then number seven is the nobility shall not force more services or dues from the peasant without payment. The peasant should help the Lord when it is necessary and at proper times.
1: So excessive services and not forced to do more services is essentially trying to figure out their bargaining power. Uh, The peasants have no bargaining power, and so the lords just keep asking them to do things. And there's no negotiating position for the peasants. And so here they're trying to claim the negotiating position, not because they have more money or anything like that, but simply they're a child of God. Right. And that if you keep burdening me, keep in mind you're burdening a child of God. Right, right. We are only required to do things as service according to what God has called us to do. Okay, okay. So there's an individual right To say, if you ask me to do something, I get to think about it. I don't have to just do it because you are in charge of me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, number eight is, many properties are not worth the rent demanded. Honest men shall inspect these properties and fix a rent in
1: accordance with justice. Mm. So, the assessment. I I just got a thing in my mail from my state representative on how to appeal my house assessment uh, for my tax bill if I want to. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so it's still a problem uh, today, I suppose, that people believe that their assessments are... Unfair,
0: yeah, yeah, and so this is this is the first time that they're asking for an assessment. They're asking for an assessment from an
1: objective, uh, honest man.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the 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 lords were the first landlords, though. I mean, they basically they're, they
1: they I have, can raise my rent, and you got nowhere else to move to. All you got to do is pay me. Yeah, otherwise you're homeless.
0: Yeah. So uh, there are. This is number nine. There are constantly new laws being made. One does not punish according to the offense, but at discretion. It is our
1: opinion that we shall be judged according to the case's merits and not with partiality. So, this is seen, uh, the same one is seen that in the Constitution of the United States when speaking about, uh, isn't in the Constitution where um, when a law is passed, uh, you can't be judged on a new law. Um, like, if I if I did something wrong 10 years ago, I'm judged on the laws of 10 years ago, not on the laws today. Oh, okay. Like, you can't just is that change... In the
0: Constitution? Or is that, I, I don't know. I, I don't
1: know. I, I should have not brought that up without certainty, right? <laughs> but, I mean, just keep this in mind. Let's erase that idea of the Constitution and just go to this. If I do something wrong 10 years ago. And it's not illegal. It's not illegal 10 years ago. But now someone doesn't like that I do it. And they change the law so that they can go backward and punish me. There's no retrograde in the law today.
0: Okay. But okay. It,
1: here they're saying there was. That based on opinion, I don't like what you did, I'm going to write a new law so now I can punish you. They say stop doing that.
0: Yeah, and, it's, and the notes I found on this one, it seems like arbitrary fines and punishments were just that's like commonplace back in those days. And I, yeah. I can't
1: imagine that, where it's like, yes. hey, you. You're uh, carrying the bucket in your right hand, that's now a fine, because you're supposed to be carrying the bucket in your left hand. Yeah. Uh, what, what? Yesterday I could carry it in uh, my right hand. No, not anymore. It has to be carried in your left hand.
0: Uh, so, you know, you're in jail until you pay me yeah and it was those kinds of crazy arbitrary laws that they would make up, so sort of hard to argue with that one yeah. um number ten several have appropriated meadows and acres uh that belong to the municipality, those we want back to our common hands. so that one again seems pretty self evident that's uh stop stealing land, yeah, stop just taking stuff for yourself. Um. So I, I don't know how they took it, but the, of course that's going to be devastating for the peasants when you know they're they're relying on that
1: for for food and heat and mm-hmm. you know everything. And then number eleven, the toad fall shall be abolished altogether. Never again shall widows and orphans be robbed, contrary to God and honor.
0: So what is the toad fall?
1: Uh, toad is to- toad fall. Yeah, it's a word for death, and so it's just the death tax. Ah, oh, okay. Okay. So the, when, when someone falls dead, there's a tax, there's a tax. And they said the the thing that happens when someone falls dead, the toadfall, fall should be taken away. Yeah. Yeah. So because the Lord of the land would demand the best of property of the deceased, the best clothes, the best tools, the best animals. And they're saying it's bad enough that the father of a household died, but then the local Lord would come in and demand a tax. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty rough.
0: Um, and then the last one is this is number 12 it is our decision and final opinion that if one or several of these articles mentioned herein were not in accordance with the word of god those we shall refrain from it from if it is explained to us on the basis of the scripture if several articles were already granted to us and it emerged afterwards that they were that they that they were ill they shall be dead and null Likewise, we want to have reserved that even more articles are found in the writ that were
1: against God and a grievance to thy neighbor. So they had met as a constituting assembly. They had agreed on these 12. And the final 12th one is saying um, the test of whether these are good articles or not is the scriptures. Um, That's kind of radical. That's, yeah. Because the test of whether these are good articles is not if the Lord likes them or not. (laughs) The test is, uh, as uh, you know, we're going to get from the Declaration of Independence. There are certain inalienable rights given to us by God. The test of these rights is not whether the person who's in charge likes them or not. The test of these articles is, are they given to us by God?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's so one last point as we go into this is that they called themselves a Christian association. And that's sort of, uh, they, so they're claiming to have, be Christians. They're, they're claiming to have God on their side. You know, we are a bunch of Christians here. That sort of by implication says that the lords
1: are not Christian. And he also is saying that uh, there is a certain uh, civic structure that is godly ordered. And there are other civic structures that must not be godly yeah and so Luther's going to have some heartburn about them calling themselves the Christian Association, and this comes from Luther's opinion of the two kingdoms, and really that the kingdom of God uh, is both found in the rule of the state and in the rule of the church. The church is ruled by grace and the ch- state is ruled by the law, and that um they're all according to you know God's authority, but really the church and that name Christian. Um, should really be used inside of the kingdom of grace and not just for the kingdom of the world. Yeah,
0: and, and that, like we'll see in, in an upcoming episode is that Luther really does, like Evan said, he has real heartburn over this, 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 this taking of the, of the name Christian for an activity or a, a group that's
1: acting in the secular realm. I don't think he would have had a problem saying that, you know, as people of this world, we have certain inalienable rights um, that are given to us by God. But, if we start to say then that this advances the Christian message, I think that 's where it gets iffy yeah where where they they sort of
0: take it as, okay, this is a proclamation of the gospel, yeah
1: yeah you know. and, and because Luther's going to say that the state is ordered according to god 's authority mm-hmm. but it 's not that the state is the advancing of the Christian message, and when they start to call themselves a Christian association and attach these uh twelve uh articles of of independence. Um, as christian articles that's where he starts to get yeah we're going to have to go into that
0: one in detail uh and that's all going to be caught and caught up in luther's admonition for peace which is a couple of episodes down the road but that's that, stay tuned for that one the where he's going to go into the, each one of these in detail and really start talking about okay which ones how's this work How does this work?
1: What's the authority of the state? What's the authority of the church? What responsibility do knights and nobles have? What responsibilities do peasants have? What responsibility does the church have? As we were speaking in the last episode, the role of authority in the ordering of society and where uh, the framework for what authority is built on is really starting to um, play into things as the Reformation is now becoming more practical.
0: Yeah. So let's have a quick review. Um, the, The Black Plague wiped out bunch of peasants and that gave uh, many of the remaining peasants some freedom to determine their own destiny.
1: This was fine for the upper class who could simply tax the growing middle class but it left the knights without the resources to survive.
0: So the knights revolt uh, while they're trying to reinstitute some form of the old order but the peasants and the middle class really weren't willing
1: to support them. The uh, middle class, they were happy to be simply taxed compared with the old system that really kept them down. And then the peasants, who were the lowest class, weren't really interested in helping the knights, who were just as abusive as the upper classes. Uh, for the peasants to help support the knights would be uh, like a person supporting the tax man.
0: Yeah. No yeah. one wants
1: to support the IRS.
0: So after the knights were, were put down, after the knights' revolt was put down, the peasants began to fight for their own rights, and the best summary of the peasants'
1: demands were those 12 articles of the peasants of Swabia that we just went through. Our next few episodes will be covering how all this played out, including uh, Munzer's roll-it-all in 1524 and 1525. And uh, there are uh, anticipations for some during this time that the world is coming to an end, and that this revelation of the Spirit of God, and this revolt of people, and these battles of people, it's all a sign that God's world is coming to an end. So... Stay tuned. I hope you can join us for next time.
0: So, let's say thanks to Josh and the folks at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamburg, Michigan. Um, uh, for source material, uh, we have James Kittelson, who is Luther the Reformer. Scott Hendricks, Martin Luther, the man and his vision. Uh, Christina
1: von Goyen, the Black Death, how it affected feudalism. Roger J.P. Kane and Hugh C. Prince, The Tithe, Surveys of England and Wales.
0: And then, of course, Wikipedia was helpful.
1: Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, you can... uh, Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to host a road trip, we'd love to come out and meet some of you. Uh, A road trip is where we show up at a local uh, brewery uh, in your area. You bring a men's group or whoever with you, and we have some small table talk conversations about theology, of uh, the Lutheran period of time, of the Reformation that we've been talking about in these podcasts, but also we try to bring it into some contemporary context as well.
0: Uh, next one is, uh, we want to say, uh, uh, oh, catch us on our website, uh, graceontap-podcast.com, or catch us on Facebook at Grace on Tap Podcast. I think that does it. Prost. Prost.